Hello and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki. And you're listening to Talk and Talkless, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. Sorry, I'm sorry I missed last week, but as always, Laser did not disappoint. Yeah, Laser was great. What did you think of the uh, of what he said? Uh, it was interesting. It was great. I think the for for some reason I keep coming back to how this affects the Iran talks. Obviously, there's so much going on in Ukraine that you know is really intense and really emotional and really complicated and you know really important. But thinking about um, Iran as well, of sort of like what it means that these talks are on hold, what it means, what the talks are going to look like when when we come back to them, if we come back to them. I don't know. Just something about it really. Um, you forget how interconnected everything is. I guess. So I are, are that, you? That seems, feels like part of it. Are you optimistic about a deal, a new deal for with Iran, and you think that's a good thing? I have no idea. Honestly, it feels like things are changing so much. Who knows what it'll even look like when, when they come back? Mm-hmm. So, so you're just we'll, thinking we'll about see. it. You don't have a specific uh, outcome that you're looking for. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that it will be. If there's a deal, I'm hoping it's a deal that makes the whole world, including Israel, you know, much safer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the outcome I'm hoping okay. for. Well, I think we can both agree <laughs> What on about that. you? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess if you're just saying it in that way, I, I'm on board, sure. That's the only thing that I feel so confident about. I don't feel confident like I have a sense of what a good deal looks like. Well, Certainly do not. You probably right. have a better sense of that. Well, I just don't, I don't think the original deal was a good deal. And I think if they reach a deal now, it's going to be significantly worse than that one from what I've read and, and seen that uh, Iran is emboldened, that they that, you know, Biden is desperate for a deal. So he's going to ask for even more than they got the first time. And it was pretty bad the first time. Sounds like we're reading the same things. Yeah. Well, so, (laughs) um, yeah, but obviously Ukraine has uh, continues to be uh, in the news and very, very horrifying. What's what's going on there, as we heard from Laser and as has has continued since then. It was very interesting, though, how um, President Zelensky um, was kind of making his rounds. He spoke to Congress and he evoked um, 9-11 and and different um, things in America's history that he thought would would, Mm -hmm. uh, get people uh, emotionally invested, resonate to to help uh, their desperate situation. But he also spoke to the Israeli Knesset. And in that speech, he evoked other things, um, namely the Holocaust, which he actually focused on pretty heavily. Um, and that ended up being very controversial and uh, I think upsetting to a lot of Israelis. Were you were you following that story? Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty. It was interesting. We, we've talked before uh, in the past, or you know, on talking talks, we've talked about when it is or isn't appropriate, if it's ever appropriate, to use the Holocaust in an analogy. You know, our stopping refugees on the border is that comparative to the holocaust uh, you know what what just things like that in general like when and when you say never forget and you know things like that like it's you know it's and there there are at least you know two basic camps right that you know really it's about making sure that jews have a safe haven um is obviously very important also making sure that genocides in general are not committed is very right. important um so yeah so i think uh in israel there were you had a lot of people very strongly on on both sides of of that particular kind of a dividing line. Yeah, they actually spoke about this. Did you listen to the Promise podcast from last week um, that we, we reference a bunch? This was bef- our favorite show. This was before Zelensky's speech, but they talked about because Yad Vashem, he, uh, Zelensky had already reached out to Yad Vashem. Can mm. can we have an event like I'll speak virtually in Yad Vashem? And Yad Vashem actually ended up saying no because we don't politicize um, Yad Vashem, and that was controversial at the time. But yeah, my take on it is like I I think the memory of the Holocaust needs to be on some level applied to any you know human atrocity because it's very important to 
not you know we have to try to avoid any uh bloodshed and and things like that and tragedies but on the other hand what's happening in ukraine as horrible as it is it's a war and all wars are horrible and yes uh civilians are being targeted but that happens unfortunately in many if not most wars and the holocaust was not that that it happened within a war but it has nothing that it's a totally separate Thing, and I think it does trivialize the memory of the Holocaust for Zelensky. I think it was chutzpah, honestly. I mean, I saw people on Facebook using that term, and I think it's appropriate. Chutzpah to, to A, say this is the, this is our Holocaust or whatever. What's happening now is, is what happened then. But even more so, he Zelensky evoked um, Ukraine's role of Ukrainians during the Holocaust who saved Jews, and therefore Israel should now save us with your military weapons. And I mean, anybody who who knows anything about the Holocaust knows that while there, yes, there definitely were uh, righteous Gentiles in Ukraine who helped and saved Jews. The overwhelming majority from, you know, what we can tell was not that. And the Ukrainians were some of the worst uh, perpetrators of the Holocaust, obviously behind the Germans. But there are stories of like Ukrainian guards in concentration camps who are much worse than the Germans, people say. And Babi Yar, which which was in the news because the, the site was bombed, that was before the death camps were even uh, operational. It was just, uh, you know, 30 something thousand Jews uh, killed in two days. Uh, and that was with the cooperation of the Ukrainians, the local Ukrainians. So I, I think uh, Zelensky's uh, pitch was not smart, just strategically was not smart of him. If he, if so, I also saw somebody say, if he would have compared it to the Arabs or Hamas, uh, that may have upset some other people. But if, in Israel, that would have resonated a lot more. If he would have say like Russia bombing us is just like Hamas bombing you, and and therefore you need to help us. I think Israelis would have uh, responded much better to that than uh, the way he said it. Some people even saying that Zelensky is going to uh, encourage anti-Semitism because, I mean, I just want to read one uh, paragraph from Zelensky's speech to the Knesset. He said, there's a quote, everybody knows that your missile defense systems are the best and you can definitely help our people save the lives of Ukrainians, of Ukrainian Jews. We are turning to you and asking whether it is better to provide help or mediation without choosing a side. I will let you decide the answer to the question, but I do want to point out that indifference kills. So what he's sort of implying is that, hey, Israel, if you don't send us your Iron Dome defense system, which I've read is not physically possible for Israel to do, um, then people are going to die because of it. So you're basically killing Ukrainians. That is not going to get Israelis on his side. So it sounds like you're making two arguments and we can we can have a this is a longer discussion, but and, and maybe maybe this will be, you know, next week or two. But it sounds like you're saying that, A, it wasn't a strategic choice, which I feel like I don't really have a good sense of. I don't know anything about geopolitical um, situations ever. Um, but also, in addition to that, you think it was an offensive uh, comparison. Well, um, I think it was inappropriate and and it offensive is a strong word. And listen, I, I get it. Zelensky, okay. Zelensky is in a very tough position. So I don't really judge him personally because he's doing whatever he can do to save right. his country and his people. And it's understandable. Well, but, but you said it's chutzpah, Dick. It was chutzpah. It was, it was a bad choice, I think, on his part to, to, to use that type of language and to use those comparisons. Okay, I I disagree, but we can save that for okay. we can save that for a long. I, I don't want us to to get too bogged down here. Okay. Uh, but I think it's an important uh, meaning. I disagree, but I really I understand your your perspective here. You know, I think that they and I I fundamentally agree that 
you know, he is in a very, very, very tough spot. I think actually uh, I saw Yair Lapid was interviewed on the news recently and I, I really liked what he had to say. I thought it was very, very strong where uh, he was asked what he thinks about uh, Zelensky's Holocaust references and the comparison that he was making. And what um, Yair Lapid, obviously the translation, what Yair Lapid responded was, I have an old principle of not arguing with people in distress. His yeah. people are dying. He is at war. I will not start correcting him. He feels the world is not helping. And I think that's absolutely that's apt. Fair. Like he's desperate and he feels like he has to do something he thinks that the holocaust there's a chance for this to be a it sounds like you it sounds like the the strategy maybe backfired or maybe didn't work as if he wanted it to but he was pleading for help like right i think that's yes. pretty fair it doesn't sound chutzpahic to me well okay but i also just to be clear israel isn't it's not like israel's not doing anything they they have a, a team a medical team that is there like a field hospital kind of thing which they've done in other um you know global kind of disasters and they've also sent all kinds of aid they just haven't sent the iron dome and they haven't sent troops and whatever but um, America also wouldn't do the no-fly zone, which is what Zelensky asked of America, because they, America yeah. would see that as like an act of war against and, Russia. And he's pleading with them right, using right. the language of 9-11, right, which, right. you know, maybe people think that's offensive. Right. But, true, you know, true, like, true. He, what I think what he's trying to do is, is totally appropriate. Okay. So obviously, we, you know, we could, we could have a whole topic on this, and maybe we will in the future. But And even before we dive into actually today's conversation, we also do have to mention uh, the recent passing of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, uh, who was basically the Gadol Hador, the leader of the generation, the posek of the generation. The, he was incredibly, incredibly well-respected as a Tamil Chacham. Since his passing last week, there have been a lot of people who have eulogized him, and maybe this will be also a longer conversation for a future week, talking about Reb Knievsky and his influence on the Jewish world and especially on the Orthodox world. Uh, but one of the things that many, many people have referenced is his insane, insane just learning schedule. Mm-hmm. Like, are, did you, have you been reading about yeah. this? his schedule and also his knowledge. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, but his knowledge, I think, comes from right, his well, schedule. yeah. Let me actually just read this quickly because I actually think it is freaking bonkers. This uh, is from a tweet from someone named David Libor. I don't know who that is, but he seems to know the Seder, uh, the, the daily schedule of Reb Chaim Kanievsky. So he would wake up a half hour after Chatzot, so pretty early in the morning. He would say Tikkun Chatzot, which, Uri, I don't know about you. I don't think I know anyone personally who says that, or if I do, they mm-hmm. keep it quiet. Mm-hmm. Then he would learn 11 pages of Zohar, which is a mystical text, 10 prakim of Tehillim, 10 chapters of Psalms, 8 chapters of the Bible, 10 sections of Mishnabura, 8 chapters of Maimonides, 10 sections of the Tor and Shulchan Aruch. And I'm just going to say what these are without translating, but I think you get the gist. It's a lot of Torah. 8 pages of Talmud Bavli, 8 pages of Talmud Yerushalmi, 8 chapters of Midrashim, 8 pages of the Kitve Hari, 8 pages of Kitve Haram Chal, and then he would write his his commentaries on Torah, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think what people say is that he finished what he called Kol Torah Kulo every year. Right, exactly. Yeah, he made a seum every single year on on all of these things. Right, starting with the Zohar, ending with Kitve Haram Chal. He always did the seum on Arab Pesach, on the, the day before Pesach. And actually this year, because it was a leap year, he did the seum on the 14th of Adar, the day before he passed away. Hmm. And he's done this for decades now. Wow. So some like it's pretty insane. It's pretty incredible. And again, we could do a whole conversation about Rev Kanievsky and his influence on the world. Uh, but 
that for for now we just you know suffice to say that the the Jewish world is going to feel this impact you know even whether they know it or not honestly yeah I think it's a definitely a big loss to the Jewish people it's also very interesting to think about how this is I don't know if it ended up being the biggest but one of the biggest funerals in Israeli history like a decent percentage of the entire country went to the funeral I don't know if you saw any of the video or pictures mm-hmm. from it just like hundreds of thousands of people um, but all pretty much from the ultra-Orthodox or Haredi community. Like everybody, it's all men and they're all wearing black hats. And there's large swaths of the Jewish world, modern Orthodox and obviously non-Orthodox, who either may have not even have heard of him before, or if they've heard of him, just didn't really have much of a connection or emotional connection in any way. And it's interesting to think about that, how... um, Maybe the other Jewish communities don't have people like that, that would have 500,000, 700,000 people show up to their funeral or or when they were alive to have people waiting around the block every single day to speak to him for a few seconds. There's something interesting and special about that. And I think also because he, he didn't really have an official role. He was just sort of like a huge Torah scholar that people would go to for advice, like because he was in a way apolitical. He ended up being a little bit political on certain things, COVID and other things. Yeah. But because he was apolitical in some ways, in a way that makes it easier for people outside of that community to say nice things about him and not criticize him because there isn't as much or anything really to criticize. But it's interesting to think about also like from a modern Orthodox perspective, what do we or modern Orthodox people think about him and what should we think about him? Is that an ideal thing to strive for? Is it a bad thing to strive for? Is it somewhere in between? Um, I think there's a lot to think about there and maybe again, something we could talk about in the future. Yeah. Before we finish, I just have to share the story that I have no idea if it's true or if it's completely <laughs> apocryphal, but it's my favorite thing. Yeah, I think I know. About go ahead. Is it the basketball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say it. I love it. I just think it's, it's good. So it's cute. great. It's great. Um, he, he, I have no idea if this story is true, by the way. Um, but he was asked a halachic question. He was asked whether it was appropriate, whether it was allowed to play basketball on Shabbos. And Rav Kevnievsky is famously known for knowing so little about the outside world. He, he didn't know anything about the neighborhood he lived in. He very rarely left B'nai Brock throughout his life. Maybe he went to Yerushalayim sometimes. I'm sure he knew some things about really the neighborhood, knew. but they, they said like he didn't know some of the street names of, in like the immediate yeah. vicinity things like that. Yeah. Um, so he was asked about whether you were allowed to play basketball and he said, what's basketball? And they said, basically you have to, the, the, the point of the game is to throw the ball into the hoop. And he said, okay, so why don't you just put the ball in the hoop before Shabbos starts? (laughs) And I just think there's something so kind of special about that. You know, it's like really interesting. Yeah. On the one hand, and and, uh, special in both ways. Like, I I don't know if it's good or bad. I I don't know, but it's it's interesting in terms of the ivory tower mega scholar which mm-hmm. i do think there is a need for that in the world in judaism and outside judaism yes that's that's amazing that he had he but f- from a leader of of people and somebody who people went to to ask really important communal questions i don't think that's a positive thing how could it be mm-hmm. somebody who's not aware of what's going on in the world how could they give accurate uh, and helpful answers to to complicated communal world, uh, you know, issues and questions. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another longer conversation. So mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a this is a complicated episode. Sorry, Rapid everyone. Fire. But yeah, let's go yeah. to the next one. So why don't we dive into today's main topic, which is a recent video that circulated on social media just in the last few days. 
So to give the background, I'm just going to quote directly from a recent Forward article that was published about this event. In a video that circulated on social media Tuesday, boys from Yeshiva University High School of Los Angeles, or EULA, dressed up for a perm display, mocking the Crosstown Orthodox School, Shalhebet, for its students' progressive stances on racial justice and gender and sexual equality before the rest of the student body. In the spiel, which was led by a rabbi in the school's faculty and took place in the school's gym, the group held up signs that said, Don't misgender me. Black Lives Matter, Stop Asian Hate, and Free the Gays. Students roared with laughter and jeered as the rabbi welcomed them to a town hall meeting, which is a fixture of Shalhevet's student democracy, with, quote, complimentary oat milk. Afterwards, the students posed taking a knee, some with raised fists, seemingly lampooning the symbolic action of Colin Kaepernick and other athletes who have kneeled during the national anthem to protest police violence. So that's what happened. Immediately that evening, the head of school sent an email to the entire Eula community saying that the skit was incredibly offensive. It was a chil Hashem or a desecration of God's name. He said that um, the, it was highly inappropriate, insensitive, disguised as a poor attempt at humor. Uh, he apologized profusely. Um, and honestly, Uri, I'm, I'm curious to hear, like, I read this article and I've been discussing this story with, with a bunch of friends, including I definitely have um, connections with Shalhebet um, and with Eula, as you probably do as well. Um, but I haven't actually seen a huge kind of a conversation about this story. Mm. And I don't know what that means, but I've been thinking about it a lot. And I would love to hear your thoughts, Uri, about this story, about whether you think it means something. Yeah. I don't know, honestly, what it means, mm -hmm. if it means anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it's upsetting, first of all. Uh, it I think it definitely means something. And I, I I did see people talking about it on online and on social media. Not so much, but there I, I definitely definitely a few. I'm thinking of three offhand of people who quoted mm -hmm. that forward article, and there was some 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 discussion um, mm. in the comments. I think it raises some important issues, and I I don't think this issue. It would be a disservice to the to the topic to say that this is a problem with Eula. I definitely don't think Eula is the problem. This could have happened anywhere. I think at any any yeshiva high school. Um, I hope it wouldn't have happened anywhere else, but it could. I could imagine if it if it did, you wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked. I don't think. I think ultimately, there there is a bunch here to talk about, like the concept of a perm spiel and the the mocking or the parodying of individuals or other schools like is that ever okay and is there a way to do that okay in, in an okay way or is there ever is there a way to critique or parody like quote wokeness and that kind of thing in, in a way that would be appropriate or funny um that's a important question that i do want to talk about but i think here broadly speaking the reason why this happened and the reason why i don't think this would happen in a standard like public school is just the fact that like in a jewish in a yeshiva high school it's mostly a bubble in terms of the the type of people and students who are there and we could talk about the education also i i we obviously don't know the curriculum at at eula i'm assuming they talk about civil rights and i'm, I'm assuming they talk about sensitivity to to marginalized groups um i think all schools probably do but when you don't have any classmates who look different than you or, or very few or you don't have representation from from some of these groups that they were making fun of it's not their fault that they don't have the exposure to these other groups, but I, th I think to me that is the most obvious explanation of how something so insensitive could 
take place and and be laughed at by the other students. I don't think it was. I, I don't think the students who were doing it were malicious or I, I also because I mean I think they were making fun of Shell Hevet more than they were making fun of these causes and these groups that, on the signs. It just wasn't funny at all, obviously. And um, to me, the the main thing that that jumps out is the lack of exposure more than anything else. And I think that has mm-hmm. to be dealt with. There has to be a way of um, dealing with that because I think it's so important for so, for so many things in our in our lives to have in terms of sensitivity to other people who are different than us and think differently than us is you can't just learn about them. You have to actually know them and meet them and talk to them in order to understand or begin to understand that different, you know, life experience. Mm hmm. I hear what you're saying. It sounds like, I, and I, I think I agree. It sounds like what you're saying is that it, this could happen to any of us and, and does happen to any of us. You know, when we read or we think or we discuss types of people, groups of people, individual people, and they fit into certain categories for us, it all seems a little bit abstract until you actually have relationships with people like this. Talking about gay marriage, for example, feels very different when you're talking about it in the abstract, when you're talking about a halakhic concept, you're reading chuvas, you're whatever, whatever, feels really different than when you're talking to friends of yours who are gay and want to get married. Right. It's just a different conversation. There's a different empathy and sensitivity that comes with having those real relationships um and there's like almost an in and an out right there's an assumption i think in many yeshiva day schools definitely in eula that these people are out right if they're when i say out i don't mean you know I'm no longer talking about gay. What I'm talking about without is like there, there are no when we talk about don't misgender outsiders. Me, people who have you know yeah they're, they're, that's such that exists in the outside world right that doesn't exist here you know. Black Lives Matter. It's not about whether you're black or not. There might be black kids in Eula. I assume there. You know, I think in many schools there's a couple of or at least teachers minorities. or something. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But there's still there in a lot of ways. The implicit, you know, statement in these things is that either those kids are the outsiders or okay, fine, maybe they're black, but they're not like political black, right? They're not like that kind of black, right? They're not part of like BLM black, and if they are, they're outside. Well, yeah, again, I think the focus of the mockery was really the what they per- these people perceived, the students perceived as the wokeness of Shalhevet and less mm-hmm. about the specific groups represented on the signs. And I guess, truthfully, th- that also t- touches on a different issue, which is, I guess, the conservative politics that are pervasive I, in much of the modern Orthodox community. Um, you know, I think that's definitely big part of it that you know wokeness is parodied every day in in media and i don't think that's all wrong or inappropriate i think there's a right uh, way to do it but that was probably also what this was playing off of i i guess the, really the question is 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 it fair to say that by by holding up these signs and by other students laughing at it does that mean that they are racist homophobic just insensitive if that's a lower level you know like what exactly was were they doing wrong well i think in general when situations like this happen i you know i think it's very upsetting like personally i think it's very upsetting but i'm really not i don't really think i blame the kids i think you're right i think there's a lot of context that makes something like this happen i think really where where you put the blame there is the context right like i think that there is a fundamental problem with 
the chinuch, the environment, right? Like the the fact that this could happen in an educational institution led by a teacher that there's a and you have all the kids are laughing. To me, children, clearly, if this was led by a teacher, that's pretty bad. Well. It was led by. No, I know, I know. I'm saying that th- that's much oh. worse than if some students just did this on yes. their own. Yes. Um, but also, I, I think fundamentally where where I come to is like, kids are kids, right? And this is not to to absolve people of responsibility for their actions. But kids are kids. I was recently listening to a, a Hidden Brain episode. Hidden Brain is an NPR podcast mm-hmm. about, as you might imagine, you know, our the weird brain that we don't understand of ours um and it was this episode was about a group of high school seniors you probably remember when this happened who were accepted at harvard and they were in there they harvard created like a facebook group for kids to get to know each other and then they all made like sub splinter groups like interested in engineering interested in this and then it became even more sub splintered interested in i don't know anime interested in baseball whatever there was a sub splinter group of like I don't know if you need to say sub splinter. Can't you just say splinter? It was a splinter group of kids who were talking about memes and trading memes back and forth. And it became almost like social currency within the group to send the most inflammatory memes you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And these kids started sending really dark, inappropriate stuff. And as exactly as you would imagine, eventually the school found out about it. All of these kids were no longer accepted. Mm -hmm. They rescinded the offers. And um, I listened to they were they did interviews with, with some of these kids and obviously it changed the trajectory of their lives. You know, it's only been a few years since then, but they, uh, you know, had to take off a year before applying to school again, applied to new schools, were rejected for most of the schools because their names were plastered everywhere because, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it just like changed everything. Yeah. Um, and it looked like no one deserves a spot in Harvard. They got in. They screwed up. They lost it, you know, like I'm not saying that Harvard did the right thing or the wrong thing. I think it's complicated. We might have even discussed actually on the show. Uh, yeah, it's ringing um, a bell. We talked like, about this. Now that I'm saying it, I'm like, I don't remember if we talked about this particular something thing or like something this. else that was yeah. similar. Yeah. Um, but what 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 I when I then go to think about you, I'm like, it feels like something very similar. Kids did something really bad. And I think they can very easily be taught how bad it was. They can understand that and they could spend the rest of their lives thinking about what they did. But what upsets me about it is I kind of have this expectation or maybe this hope or maybe it's naive or maybe, you know, <laughs> something we come back to often is that we're better than this. We as religious people, as orthodox people, as people who think that we want to represent God in this world, think that we are meant to be a, a beacon of light and beauty and godliness to the world around us are supposed to be better. So yes, maybe it's normal, right? Maybe this is just what it is to be a 17-year-old boy. Your brain isn't fully developed. Like there's a lot of like things that can make me things like this should happen, but don't we have the responsibility to be better? And how what kind of major major errors in the education system are happening that something like this could happen? Like it just it feels so upsetting. And again, I'm not blaming Eula, I'm not blaming these kids, but something feels like it it is almost broken like it just feels so devastating yeah i hear that but again to be fair i'm not saying you're not right because i just don't know enough about high school curricula but i the education can always be better i think everywhere but i don't know if i would say that this is specifically a problem with education versus like i said exposure and just you know knowing people personally who who fall into those groups um, you know, I mean, well, let me ask you, Uri, okay. like, do you think that this would happen at Shalhebet? 
Like she'll have it probably as a similar right. proportion well, I, or percentage I of black ass- kids and Asian kids well, and whatever. I would assume. Let me say it differently. Not, Let me yeah. say it differently. Would she'll have it? Do you think that she'll have it would create something that were almost the opposite, right? Like skewering people who as being like right wing nutjobs. Do you think they would have a spiel like this? I mean, of course, maybe. We don't really know. We're, we're hypothesizing. Could- but do you think it's equally likely? How about that? It's so hypothetical because I was I was thinking about that. I I could I could picture it. Sure, why not? Well, the reason I think why not is because like the I suspect no. Look, because you're, you're saying right. people I don't in a school like that wouldn't make fun of other people. Like for example, right? And I'll I'll read this directly. Um, the principal and just like you know, just say I I know him. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're friends. Um, I think or you guys are yes. are, are friends as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the principal shall have it or the head of school at shall have it, David Block, is quoted, uh, the letter that he sent to his students when the, after this happened, um, he said explicitly, I know there's a video going around regarding what's happening right now at a different school in town. Don't think twice about it. We should be extremely proud of who we are, our values, our conversations and dialogue, and especially our love and support of every single student, Jew, and person. Know without a doubt, and despite what others might want you to believe, that those are true Torah Jewish values. And reminder that we don't respond to grossness with grossness. We're menches, always. That kind of makes me feel like they would not do a right-wing skewering. They ha- they, they I mean, had you're Shapiro reading a letter a from the head of school. You read ago. the letter from the head of school of Eula, and he was horrified by what happened. Yeah, that's so, true. Uh, that's not really like, a proof. No, it, it's, it's a very it, nice it's statement. It's, it's, it's a, but meaning like to... like. That's true. There, there's a. We, we definitely heard very positive things about how disappointed they were, you know, from the other side. And it could, again, it could very well be that Shell Heaven would do the exact same thing. They did have Ben Shapiro, who is a, a very well-known right-wing, you know, you know, pundit, whatever he is, his podcast. So, you know, we're colleagues. Um, as a speaker at Shell Heaven, there were definitely left-wing. Like this, I, I remember from when it happened because I had friends at Shell Heaven. There were definitely left-wing students and parents and faculty who were upset about this. They did not cancel it. They had one of their you know town hall conversations about this, and what they did was have him speak. People could go if they wanted to. It wasn't mandatory. And they also had speakers who spoke on different perspectives. And that was part of Hushkovically. The school said, look, we believe in people who have diverse opinions. We do not believe in shutting down conversation. We do not believe that any of these people are outside the pale of our conversation. So, yeah, I do have a harder time believing that Shalhavid would do something Okay, I mean, like that's this. that's very cool. I didn't know that about the Ben Shapiro thing. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of Ben Shapiro, that's, that, I, that's very cool of Shalhavid that they had him. I, I honestly just don't know the two schools well enough. And I, I don't think... Think it should be about those schools in particular. All I, I I would say is that like I think she'll have its reputation is for being more politically liberal, and I don't think the answer to Jewish students and 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 youth being more sensitive and better people is that they should all go to politically liberal schools. I I don't. But that that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying like yes, be exposed to different types of people, and that will create more empathy. I think that's true for all of us. That's true for kids. That's okay. true for adults, and that's right. absolutely important. But I'm saying the chinuch and the way that you think about educating children is also important. 100. percent And I'm not no, saying I don't I'm not that. saying that this you have to set up a liberal school. Or when I say liberal, I mean like left-wing. I don't think Mm -hmm. the solution is a left-wing school. But I do think that traditional liberalism, which is exposing people to different viewpoints, having discussions and disagreements about different viewpoints, is critical for the school. And I think a lot of schools do not do that. You're probably right. And however much they're doing, they could probably do more. 100% and I'm sure that would for sure not hurt this kind of thing and most likely obviously help it 
I, I think it's an interesting question to also ask, like, you know, given what they did in, in the context of a perm spiel, which like is always in, in all in, you know, when the concept of a perm spiel is to make fun of people and, the, mm-hmm. and the, the balancing act is to do it in a way that is appropriate. And I think there is a way that's appropriate. Like, it's funny. I was, I was talking before this incident uh, happened. Uh, I was talking to a friend of the show, Eitan, and um, he was telling me that he had asked uh, Rosh Hashiva in YU that he's close with, what do you think about the perm spiel? Because the YU perm spiel every year is mostly centered around students literally mimicking and, and imitating a lot of the Rosh Hashiva with the Rosh Hashiva sitting right there and everybody's mm-hmm. laughing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it's interesting. It's an interesting concept. Like that could sound like pretty bad. And so Eitan asked this Rosh Hashiva, what do you think about the perm spiel? And the answer that the Rosh Hashiva gave, I thought was very, very interesting. He said, obviously it has to be done appropriately, but I, he thinks that it's a positive thing because it's, it would tell him personally and other Rosh Hashiva what people are thinking about and what people are, you know, have a hard time with or think is ridiculous or think is too much or what, like that's, that's humor. Humor can be the best way sometimes to convey yeah. truth and information and, and things like that. And, you know, serious, difficult topics can be conveyed in, through humor in a way that they sometimes can't in other ways. So like with this Eula thing, um, you know, we were talking before about the oat milk. That was actually, I thought, kind of funny that the oat, you know, complimentary yeah. oat milk will be served. And even if it was, you know, making fun of the town hall, like, yeah, that's kind of funny. I could see that being appropriate to make fun of. Like, maybe, maybe they shouldn't have been making fun of another school by name at all, because I could see that as being inherently problematic. But that aside, I think. Oh, that's funny. I don't think that felt like a problem to me. I was thinking, like, if uh-huh. Mary Sherrill did something about, you know, why you, I could think see that being really funny, right. or vice versa. I, I could right. Say, like, I guess it might depend who, which the, what the schools are, and and when it comes to like right. here in the context of a right. political rivalry, yeah, an allegiance. And, and the truth is, the way that I would love to see that is if like why you and Nair Yisrael did a some sort of joint perm spiel mm-hmm. together where like it feels like it comes more out of love well obviously I think right that is part of what yes what it feels so hurtful about right it. if they could have made fun of shall have it but in a way that didn't feel mean obviously yeah. that that would be the way to do it and it's also like there's you know punching up and punching down a little bit well right i was gonna also just say just this is just basic comedy 101 not that i'm like a, a comedy genius or anything but like you never mention the thing that you're parodying by name. You always change the name and that just makes it funnier. So instead of saying, you're making fun of Black Lives Matter, which is so dumb, because what are you saying? Black Lives don't matter and that's the joke? Like, I, I don't think they meant to say that, but that's what it sounds like. I guess it can't be that close. You know, if they say a different color, lives matter, that wouldn't really be funny either. But my point is, like, change the the, the slogan to something totally ridiculous and nothing directly connected to anything real and i'm not saying that makes it okay and kosher but at least yeah. that would go a long way it's you're not... saying as a comedian you're offended yeah, it's like jerry well... seinfeld's thing about the dentist who converted <laughs> for the jokes right, he's like i'm right. offended for the co- as, a comedian, <laughs> as a comedian not as a jew yeah. right i'm just saying it's yeah. just not funny it's not funny when you yeah. make fun of john mulaney like do you that. know john mulaney's sketch about uh, delta airlines i don't think so so it's funny. We could play a clip of it. Uh, but what he says is like, I'll book a ticket on some garbage airline. I don't want to name an actual airline. Uh, let me make one up. Uh, let's call it Delta Airlines. And why <laughs> that's so funny is because what he's doing is subverting the joke. Right. Because you would normally say, OK, I'm going to make something up. I'm going to call it, you know, fly away airlines. But he right. Dafka says Delta. 
Right, anyway, or if he called it sh- that a joke is the funniest way we could do it. Yeah, or if he called it like schmelta, then it's like a different type of joke right. where like you know exactly right. what he's talking about. He's not thinking the word. I'm saying to do something that doesn't sound anything like it, and and whatever. That's like a side point, but it's just that's in the sense of like it just wasn't funny on any level because yeah. partially because of that. I think. I guess just on that topic, as we wind down here, like when it comes to like wokeness and woke culture, like I think we can all agree that there are certain, there are obviously fringes as there are in any movement, and those can be ridiculous sometimes. But like, do you think it it would there is any kind of appropriate way to let's say in that context for a more generally speaking politically conservative institution or people in that institution to make fun of a different institution who is like on a very opposite end in terms of progressivism in a, in a way that would, would be appropriate. Can you picture that? Yeah, I think definitely. Yes. Like I think uh, spiels, I think are, are real valuable and important and I love humor and I don't think mocking has to be a bad thing. I think there's a lot of value to doing something like that. I think though, I think first of all, doing things out of love feel really important to me especially in a context like this like it really something about this really did feel really mean-spirited and Mm -hmm. really hurtful like I'm imagining like you know I as I was reading this I was imagining if I were 16 and I were sitting in that audience and I were gay or I were Asian or I were black and yes this was a joke about shall have it this was not a joke about making fun of black people it was a Oh, look, maybe a little bit. You can make an argument, honestly. Indirectly, But I don't think it was. I think think mostly it was really a joke about shall have it. Um, But that doesn't matter, I think, to me, if I were that kid. Mm -hmm. I think I would feel really small and I would feel really alone and really scared in that moment. And the fact that these kids and really the educator who was involved in creating this and running this program didn't think about those kids, I think is, is... kind of the, the hard part here. But yes, yeah. I could definitely imagine a way in which it was done differently. Like, can you maybe just what think I, of a couple of examples of what they could have... Yeah, the, more oat milk. The, <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. More town halls, more oat yeah. milk. Yeah, like, I think that stuff is funny. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that ultimately, um, even though I do think this Eula shall have its story is a little bit sad, uh, I do think there is potential for change. You know, as we talk about often, I believe strongly in the power of Chuva. I believe that there is a way mm-hmm. to, to make this right. I don't think that any of these people need to be expelled. I don't think that firing is the answer. I don't think that that helps change hearts and minds, as we say. Mm-hmm. I think that education and I think that conversation is really important in things like this um, and figuring out a, a path to go forward, I really think is critical. But something that I was really, really heartened by was actually what this article started and ended with which was not about Eula and about Shalhebet. It was actually instead about a flyer Mm -hmm. that was co-created, co-sponsored, co-distributed by a bunch of Orthodox and specifically right-wing Orthodox organizations Mm -hmm. that was actually warning people specifically, uh, hey, with Purim approaching, please make sure to exercise sensitivity with your costumes. Uh, meaning specifically, don't use blackface. Don't do anything with hanging of Haman because of its associations with lynching. Mm-hmm. Um, think about making sure you don't stereotype any specific groups, right? Even um, even if you think you're not being offensive, think about how you would feel if someone were doing this towards Jews on Halloween with right. people dressed in traditional, you know, Hasidic outfits. Yeah. Um, this shouldn't, we want to have a, a joyful Purim, but we don't want to hurt other people. And I thought that was really amazing yeah. to see. I was like really, like really heartened and blown away by. So I just mm-hmm. thought that was, that was really nice. Yeah, I thought that flyer was very cool, especially given the organizations that were behind it and endorsing it. And yes, when it comes to this story, 
Um, on the one hand, what always makes me feel bad is that if this would have happened 20 years ago, the the people probably would have been reprimanded also, I would hope, but the whole country wouldn't have known about it. And it's just a lot harder that people will end up knowing you in some, some ways by your worst moment because of social media and because of the internet. But on the yeah. other hand, also because of social media and the internet, it sort of accelerates a lot of, uh, you know, processes that in the past may have taken a lot longer. And in the same way that, you, really have that, point. The same way that you have that flyer now because of many years of mistakes that people have made, oftentimes inadvertently in terms of insensitive costumes, I think something like a permspiel gone wrong in this game, like, will most likely not happen, I would hope, next year because everybody heard about this story and it's a cautionary tale. And that is the, you know, positive aspect of the social media blow up about it, I think. Yeah. Bezrat Hashem. Well, of course, if you are... Uh we want everyone to be involved in this conversation. Please uh, shoot us an email, join our conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Dachas Podcast. But especially if you are a student or a teacher or administrator or parent or just associated with the EULA or Shalhebet or larger LA Jewish community, we would love to hear your thoughts. Or other Yeshiva high schools. Yeah, sure, 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 of course. But if you have a kind of a personal stake in this game, um, you know, please, you know, join the conversation because we'd really love to hear, you know, how... This is impacting your community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, other yeshiva high schools, I, I'd be curious to hear um, how this was yeah. maybe spoken about or if similar things have happened um, or not happened. Uh, so definitely we'd love to hear from you. And also we'd also love to hear your thoughts on the Ukraine uh, catastrophe right. and, and war and also Rav Kanievsky and what he may have meant to the Jewish community or to you personally. Um, we're very mm-hmm. interested in, in hearing people's perspectives on, on those things as well. I will tolerate any treatment. Like I travel alone sometimes, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll put up with anything. You know, like I'll book a ticket on some garbage airline. You know, I don't want to name an actual airline, so let's just make one up. Let's call it like Delta Airlines. So I'll book a ticket <laughs> on Delta Airlines. And I'll show up at the airport, and I go, can I get on the plane now, please? And they go, no, it's delayed nine hours. (laughs) And I go, okay, and then I go to the bathroom. And then I come out of the bathroom, and I go, any updates? And they go, yeah, we took off while you were in the bathroom. Because we hate you. Now take this meal voucher that doesn't work. Go fetch. Thanks as always to Drive In Productions. They are the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Topless. Bye, everyone. Zagazun. Zagazun.